the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are joined by my esteemed colleagues. We return to a Vine Church staff podcast, minus some of our staff, um, but the ones that could make it here on my left are Dr. Jimmy Dean Sausage Davenport. hey Wow, that was loud. And uh, our newest member of the Vine staff family, uh, Miss Jacqueline Garcia. Good morning. I don't think I'm the newest. I think Ruby is the newest. That is a true statement. And the then, newest in the room. Right. And then we got Bubs over here, uh, Bubby Tucker. Houston. Hello. Yes. Yes. We're so Bobby, glad you're here. Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> um, guys, here's what I want to know right out of the gate. What's the um, What's the number one book that you're going to recommend to somebody? And you could go like Christian discipleship route because we're all on staff at the church. But I don't want you to feel constrained by that. Um, like, here's a book you got to read, you know, and there could be a lot of motivations for that. Um, but what, what are you going to what are you going to hand out? It's a it's a it's a it's a party where we're giving away books and I want to hear what you recommend. It looks like James D is ready. Yeah, Zach, as one who suffers from short term memory loss, I can only remember the last book that I read. <laughs> well, hey, easy answer. Yeah. And it was called um, With Us, I believe. So I built a free little library on our yard um, and people are just always dropping books in there. And sometimes they're really good reads, and sometimes they're not. Right. And so I, before going to Door County on vacation, family vacation in August, I grabbed one out of there. Mm-hmm. I chose by cover because that's what Justin Eccles taught me to, to choose yeah. by yeah. graphically. If it's pleasing to the eye, mm-hmm. that it's probably a good read. Um, so I was halfway through this book on the beach in Door County in the village of Ephraim, and I turned to Emily and I said, I think my book... Or she, she asked me, said, what is your book about? She, and I said, you know what? I think it's about imaginary friends. Imagineering? Imaginary. Well, imaginary friends. Yeah. I was reading a book. I was 200 pages in. And it was very confusing about what was happening. But I was pretty committed. So let me give this straight. You started a book and you had no idea what it was about. Correct. And you still didn't really know what it was about and you're 20, 200 pages in 200 and you're pages at this in. point guessing what it's about. I'm guessing at this point that it's imaginary friends. And then the and next day, I thought maybe they were ghosts. <laughs> and then the following day, I thought they were angels. I concluded the book that week on vacation and I still have no idea who these people were. I don't know what the book was about. I would just say, if you ever come across the title of a book called, like, With Us, do not read it. It is awful. <laughs> I don't know what it was about. Wasn't this question, yeah, what James, book do is, you recommend? Yeah, this is a recommendations question, Well, my James. recommendation is not to read that book. Okay. Well done. Well played. Okay. I will say the one book in the last year that I read for y'all's discipleship, if you're a parent, that was really helpful for me was called Pop Culture Parent. And uh, it was really helpful, just a framework of how do you engage your kids in, you know, pop culture, uh, the books they read, the music they listen to, the shows they watch. Uh, I grew up in a home where it was, um, culture is bad, 
And so we don't touch it. We don't watch it. We don't engage with it. Um, and certainly I understand that perspective of protecting your kids. Um, but this book was all about um, engaging with culture um, and seeing the beauty that culture can produce and create um, and how it can teach us or how the, how we can see the gospel interweaved in some of the themes of culture and how to, you know, be able to, be able to discern what is right and what is wrong uh, or idolatries that culture may or may not be promoting within different works of literature. If that made any sense. It was really, really informative for me. Yeah. There was a Porterbrook now called thrive, um, module called culture that really dealt with that in a very creative way. We don't make culture an idol, but we don't um, fearfully run from it either. And so how can we think theologically about culture? It's really, really important. Anybody got one or I can go? I can go. Please. I think I'm going to recommend the book that I just finished, and it's because I too have a hard time remembering what I've read over the, I think you said the past year. Sure. Um, but I finished this one last night. It's called Walking Through Fire. It's a memoir written by a Christian author um, named Vanitha Rendell Risner. And she has a really fascinating experience being born in India and having polo as, polo, polio as a young child. She did not have polo. She had polio. Um, but it's just really fascinating, her experience being hospitalized as a child, um, moving to Canada, then moving to the States, and just the really difficult things that she walked through in her life. Um, it was really fascinating, and ultimately it's the story of her giving glory to God through it all. So it's very much kind of a modern-day Job. She just suffers in a level that many of us would find unimaginable. But I know that sounds very depressing, but it was really encouraging because through it all, she's become very solid in her faith, and she writes for Desiring God, and she has a you know, a very um, beautiful faith through it all. So that was really encouraging. I'd highly recommend it. Um, and actually, I read another memoir not long ago. Apparently, that's what I'm into these days is memoirs and biographies, um, which is not in the Christian discipleship realm. That was called An Education by Tara Westover. And this is a young lady who grew up in a very strict occult light sect of Mormonism, um, I think in Utah or right outside of Salt Lake City area. And it was just really fascinating, the things that she walked through as a child and just some of that false teaching and how she grew to reject that in her adulthood and came back into mainstream society after being kind of in one of those isolationist sex. So it was very interesting. Wow. What's the title again? That one's called An Education. An and she's education. not, a, I don't believe she's a Christian. It's not like in the Christian realm, but it was a memoir of her experience growing up in that culture. How'd you get turned on to this book? My mom gave it to me. Oh, My cool. mom is an avid reader and reads a great deal. So I inherit a lot from her. Cool. Often from little free libraries. Have not yet run across without us, among us. What is it called? With we us. don't know. With us. Somebody's with us. <laughs> we don't know who it is, but somebody is. See, I think the book was all about there are people in our society that we don't always see, but they're always with us. And do you have eyes to see them? I think there was a really deep meaning to it that I did not pick up. You mean on. like the marginalized people that we just like are blind and we don't want to see because it's yes. challenging or something? Yes. Interesting. But they're watching us. <laughs> it's not. Bubs, you got one or you want me to go? Okay. Um, I'm going to go with kind of a, uh, a real firm base hit uh, for our community, and that's a Tim Keller book. 
I was trying to get on base here, guys. Um, <laughs> but I have read uh, Tim Keller's Making Sense of God uh, multiple times, and I find that I think I read books multiple times because my style of reading is um, I just don't like I, I, had, I had roommates in college and friends that like they're just super smart and they remember everything they read. And I just noticed early on, that's not me. Like I just, that's not how my brain works. So for me to really get a lot of impact out of a book, uh, I have to read it multiple times. And Keller's, um, you know, he's not like crazy academic, but he veers a little more academic um, in terms of this book and more abstract philosophical concepts. And um, basically it's just a book about how to have a healthy conversation with someone who's an unbeliever and how to winsomely try to deconstruct the, their beliefs. Um, so it's very popular for people in our culture to be deconstructing Christianity. But he would flip that on its head and say, yeah, we, we could do that. And there's lots of questions we can and should ask about being a Christian. But we should also be just as self-reflective um, about a secular worldview and there's probably reason to de deconstruct that as well. And have you considered that? And here's some ways that you can go about thinking about that. So it's basically like, I think, just a great book to have a really profound conversation with someone who who's not a Christian and just ask them questions like, well, have you thought about like where morality comes from? Like we just all assume it. But does that make sense to just assume that morality is real? And beyond just our preferences or um, how is it that we can have uh, deep convictions about the truth but not abuse people? Um, is that even possible? And so I, I just found find it really, really, really helpful um, for our time and, and space in which we live. So I would recommend that to anybody. Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. I think that was a solid double, <laughs> stand-up double. You're on second base. Thanks, man. Yeah. Deep shot to right field. Bubs? Yeah, I also can only remember the last book I read, and I also can't remember the last book I read. So... Is it like a Greek or Hebrew dictionary that you're <laughs> trekking through there? Na naturally, yeah. No, uh... I think the book that I always think about in things like this is uh, Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Um, I've been told, James is shaking his head at me now, I've been told that I reference Bonhoeffer a lot too much, maybe. Um, but that book was really powerful for me when I was in college. just really gave me a glimpse of uh, the Christian life is a community life, um, not like hippie commune style, but like, doing life together like the name suggests. So, um, that was really just been really impactful for me. And it's, I think it's really beautiful and it's sometimes it's tough to read because he wrote in German like 80 years ago. Uh, so it can be tough to read, but I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Also, if we were at, so like I say, we're hanging out books and it was like at a party or something, but it was like adults, who enjoy fiction, weirder fiction. There's this book that I love called American Gods by Neil Gaiman. 
it's a fiction book. It's like a, f- a science fiction fantasy book. It's a nerd book. It's lame, but it's really cool because the premise is that like all the old uh, mythologies are true, and they're battling against modern gods that Americans worship, mm. like Ford and Steel and uh, television and money and the government. It's it's uh it's not, I'm just getting lots of looks in the room right now. No, it sounds fascinating. I think it's fascinating because if you enjoy this type of science fiction or fantasy, if you enjoy that kind of story, it's an interesting story. Are you willing to share the end or is that too much of a spoiler? No, don't share. I won't no, I, I won't spoil it. I, I think uh Neil Gaiman is a great author, but I think that he and actually the story takes place up around here. Their uh House on the Rock or whatever is a part of the story too. But uh, I think he hit the nail on the head about what modern idolatry looks like. And that's why I think it's really interesting. From a Christian perspective, the whole time I'm tracking like, yeah, totally. This is exactly what it's like right now. But I think from a non-Christian perspective, it it seems just like funny or silly or just fantastic. But I think it's very interesting. That's great. What was the title again? American Gods. Yeah. And I would definitely not for kids. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, that was good. Uh, Some book recommendations there for you. Well, we would like to welcome you, Jackie. Thank you. As sort of the newest member of the staff, uh, Ruby excluded. What's been your first impressions of uh, being a staff member at at the Vine Church? How's it been going for you? What's it been, a month? Well, I mean, it's been a slow well, on-ramp, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's, it's really interesting because I feel like people ask me this a lot, and it doesn't feel new to me at all. Like, Laurel was so gracious, and you guys all know this. Laurel was so gracious to kind of take me under her leadership and her mentorship formally starting, like, in January of this past year. So I feel like I've been around for quite a while, um, just kind of learning and very thankful to Laurel for all of the wisdom she imparted, but certainly still learning a lot here on my own as well. Um, my first impression is I think things are great. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I feel like um, I'm very thankful that I get to flex some of my administrative skills. I think that's definitely how I'm wired. I appreciate uh, putting order to chaos. So not that it's chaotic here, but but I just really appreciate the chance to, uh, you know, start putting in some processes, writing things down. I, I yes. love that sort of stuff, you guys. And I know it's so nerdy and just so not the way most people are wired, but it makes me really excited to do like a revision history on a policy or something like that. So wow. here I am. Yeah, I do not understand you. <laughs> but well, I the feelings love mutual, Zach. <laughs> I'll just say first impressions of Jackie for me, uh, the snack bucket that we have in the kitchen office <laughs> has never been empty, and that's been fantastic. And, and some healthy snacks, that. too. Yeah, I feel healthy, fed. Uh, I don't even know when the last time I brought lunch was. <laughs> hey, I'm with you, dude. Sometimes it's just go to the snack bucket. You know, got some Lara bars in there. Your Fig Newtons. Those are chocolate. Thank you, Jackie. Sugar, dude. Don't eat fig noodles. Oh, I just had one. It was delicious. Oh, they're so good, though. I know. Got to read yeah. the labels, though. Hey, why? Because I'm a food Nazi. I'm a food legalist now. Uh, Bubs, what about you? What are your first impressions of uh, Mrs. Garcia over here? 
Well, James saying this nag bucket thing really takes the wind out of my sails because I feel the same thing. So glad I can provide you yeah. all with some some snacks. If nothing else, yeah. let me update your policies and buy you all snacks. No, but I think that's indicative of the kind of thing that you bring. Like That's the kind of thing that I would never think to do, but has been a really big blessing for me. And so I think that's the kind of thing that you bring to the table is thinking about the things that no one else thinks of. How many, uh, how many I mean, the fruit fridge. snacks do you do you average a the week? F- I don't want to talk about that. But the the organization in the fridge of all of our sparkling water, I mean, I don't have to hunt. It's all lined up, color full coded. display, color <laughs> color coded. So you probably color code your sock drawer. Actually, you guys, here's the thing. So I have a very firm line where I can separate my personal life from my professional life. So if you come to my house and open my fridge, it's an absolute disaster. If there's like something or my closets, interesting, my drawers, you guys, if that you can close strange. it and not have to look at it, I'm not at all interested in organizing it. But I do appreciate I, I don't know. I, I tell myself it's because I have really good like work-life boundaries, but maybe it's just because I'm trying to like win your accolades for an organized fridge and at home i'm like like who cares the contractors i know who are really good at building things or it's beautiful they make create beautiful things but then Mm -hmm. you go to their house and you're like but your trim's not up yeah i think it's a lot like that yeah why do you want to do it at home absolutely it might be like that and thankfully my husband is wired a little bit differently than i am he's very good at doing things like organizing our pantry or our fridge i'm just really terrible at keeping it keeping it up or maybe maybe there's just no bot i don't know i it's just that's my life right now guys you're saying there's no one at home getting on a podcast talking about how great you are organizing things and that's the- that is without a doubt true nobody will tell me like yeah it's and i'll, I'll be we could have them minute. come and, and yeah, just that's true compliment their mom yeah that'd be fun that would be kids podcast yeah one thing that i uh <gasps> I, that's my million dollar idea, that you guys. That is a great idea. Kids podcast. See? Live I contribute more than snacks. Live from the basement. We could do a live podcast. We haven't done a live podcast yet. You know, like like a, the live audience. Sometimes people do like a podcast in front of a live audience. Yeah. So there's like chuckles and exactly, Yeah, exactly. Clapping. Some feedback, you know. Um, audience participation. There's not going to be a lot of editing. And we could bring different kids up and do some madness. Um. Jackie, I one of the things I really appreciate about you that I didn't know about you is I have observed that your, in, to use the language that I use all the time, your RPMs run pretty hot. Mm. And I appreciate that about you. Like you are flying around here getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I value that. Well, thank you. And so I'm really thankful for um, just seeing, you know, you flying around between buildings or whatever hearing my very loud footsteps in the hall. <laughs> but let me ask you this Jackie as a um, more serious question you know some people I've heard people say this that have been um, lay people and then come on staff like it's kind of scary to come on staff because you're going to be scared to see like somehow the inner workings or the gross underbelly of the church that most people don't see um, how would you respond to somebody saying that or just thoughts about that in terms of your own, like mm-hmm. pre-staff now coming on staff? Sure. No, it's a good question. It's something that I've thought a lot about. Um, I think that 
myself very much included in in this statement, but people are messy, right? And and sin is real. Um, and life is really hard for a lot of us and have been for the past, you know, year and a half especially. So I think there definitely is an element of man, I, I wish I didn't I wish I didn't have the weightiness of of walking with someone through a through a hard thing. I wish I didn't, you know, I wish that didn't impact me emotionally as much as it does. But at the same time, like talking about life together, like working these things out in um like in a healthy environment and, and learning what it's like to have a healthy disagreement with somebody or look, learning what it's like to go to God's word and say, okay, here's how I'm feeling. But what God's word says is this. Um, I think it's been a, a, a learning curve, of course, but some of that comes to with city group leadership and just a lot of us live out those things day to day, whether we're on church staff or not. Yeah. And, and, and God willing, you know, I really want us, my burden for us as a church is that we um, don't have a lot of things to hide or really any, I mean, of course, like it's not appropriate to just like um, in every context, talk about every little thing that's happening. But on the whole, I think part of what it means to be above reproach for us as elders, or I think you could um, say that character quality is just good for Christians in general. Um, to be above reproach kind of means I'm not, I don't, there's no gross sin that I'm hiding that I would be really, really ashamed if you knew about. And if churches operate that way, like we got a bigger problem than, than, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's absolutely true. And one thing I really have appreciated coming on staff is just seeing how, you know, us as a staff and how you all on the elder team operate very Laterally, and, and what I mean when I say that is it's not the Zach Nielsen show, right? You're not here making all the decisions. You guys are wrestling with things, and nobody here has all the answers. I think everyone's very clear about that, um, and I just really appreciate the humility that that takes to wrestle through hard things together and have hard conversations and not just like, I feel this way today, so this is what I'm going to spit out vitriolically, but but very much more like, Let's learn from each other. Let's talk about it and wrestle through what does the Bible say and how do we move forward in some of these hard things? Yeah. Just by way of like people kind of knowing uh, with you being new on staff, is there anything that you're kind of really focusing on now in terms of how your time is being spent? Um, people just might be curious in terms of your director of operations, um, and that could mean a lot of things. I mean, that's your title, but... Um, you know, just let people in a little bit on what, on what the, the day-to-day is looking sure. like for you these days. Yeah, I've been really thankful over the past couple of weeks. So my girls, I have two girls. I know we have a lot of people that probably don't even, that I don't know, that don't know me yet. So I have two girls who are in public schools in Verona. Um, I've got a nine, almost nine-year-old named Annie and a five-year-old named Lizzie. So they're kindergarten and third grade this year. Um, going to Sugar Creek Elementary School. So shout out to our favorite elementary school in the Verona area. Anyway, so it's been really great to have them in school and to have some margin to come in and actually start thinking about um, strategically what does this job look like, right? Um, Because I feel like for the past eight months or so as I've transitioned on, it's been very much like, okay, I have two hours and I need to send out the newsletter. So that's what I'm doing. Um, so with a little more margin, um, it's been really fun to focus on, like sending the Eccles is a good example. That took a big chunk of planning and preparation and just coordination to throw them um, what I thought was a pretty fun picnic a week ago. 
It was awesome. Um, so yeah, it was fantastic. So fun for everyone to be able to come out and just such a beautiful space. Except for Houston Tucker and Kinsey. Wow, public shaming. Throwing shade at Houston. He had um, a good excuse. I'm sure. <laughs> Were you going to defend yourself, Bubs? No, I was just going to say that's fair. Yeah. I receive it. Humble. I totally forgot that you weren't there. I did too. I'm so sorry to bring up a sore spot. Anyway. Um, so you talked about editing earlier. This is not going to get edited. No, 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 there's no, no chance. chance. Yeah. No chance. I'm sorry. We're keeping it real here. Um, other things, uh, yeah, just managing the day-to-day stuff, like making sure our cleaners have the supplies they need, making sure that, you know, when Karis uses the space, that things are in order and ready for us when we get in on Sunday morning. And I don't know, it's amazing how quickly the time goes. And I feel like a lot of what I do day-to-day isn't necessarily these super concrete tasks. Covenant renewal. I've done a lot with covenant renewal and trying to bring that into the digital age and I think people just underestimate how much management energy goes into being an organization our size Mm -hmm. with two buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we're not that huge of a church, but Mm -hmm. still there is a lot of organizational um, oversight that's necessary. Right. And, And some of the strategic things, too, like how can we be a blessing? How can we use what God has gifted us with to be good stewards of our resources? You know, can we... I, I don't know. I, I have lots of big dreams, and sometimes it's hard to rein all those in. But but I love thinking about those sort of things, too. Like, how can we get to know our neighbors? How do we love our neighbors better where we're at here? And just thinking about those things. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the things it's on really my good. plate. Yeah. Well, we're so glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, guys, um, I think it's time for a little story time. And um, you know what? One of the things I love about podcasts is just storytelling. I think some of the best podcasts just people tell stories so here's the story i want you to tell tell us about when you got engaged and what happened and how it all went down and what were your feelings and what were the circumstances what were the details anybody ready to to tell us that story i'm ready yes the story of Kinsey proposing to you? The story of Kinsey <laughs> proposing to me. Uh, she rented out a crane and a whole... No. Uh, <laughs> helicopter. A helicopter. No, I proposed to Kinsey. Um, and I... Let the record be straight on that. Let the record that. be straight. I uh, may possibly be an impatient person. And so our story... Uh, is kind of marked by that. I uh, decided I'm going to propose to Kinsey, you know, love this woman, want to marry her. And so I go out looking for a ring. And I spend two weeks, can't find a ring, because I know the kind of thing I'm supposed to look for, the dimensions, the whatever. Uh, And then... We go and visit my parents, uh, visit my family, and uh, my stepdad and I went ring shopping together, found it. I was like, this is the one. This is it. I'm buying it. Uh, and then later that day, I just proposed to her right then because I had it. And so our story doesn't have any, like, doves released at dawn or, 
like mariachi band in the background playing nothing like that it's kind of it like was, jim and pam at the gas station yeah yeah it, uh yeah it was it was literally as soon as i had the ring and could i proposed to her so like where were you uh at my parents house just and like outside we were we were leaving um to drive back to madison and no sorry joplin we lived in joplin at the time um we were leaving to drive back to Joplin, and I just knelt on the ground and proposed to her, and she was so surprised. She said, are you serious? <laughs> and then I said, yeah. She said, wow. I said, well? And then she said, yes. And then we got married. Wow. There's, like, no pictures of it happening. There's no nothing. It was... That's interesting you say that, because I tell guys all the time looking to buy a ring i'm like well are you ready to propose because when you when you have the ring it's like a loaded gun like you want to you want to fire it yeah yeah it Uh, burns a hole in your pocket hard to contain yeah that yeah i don't know what it is but just that (laughs) wantingness to (laughs) clearly i could not it was it was day of so she was just blown away by the romance yeah Yeah. oh yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) It's a different kind of romance, you know. It's right. not. Subtle. It's not the kind Subtle. of romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's like writing the next, you know, rom com about our story <laughs> in this way. But it's the kind of romance that's like eager mm-hmm. and uh, impatient. You know? Yes, a kind of impatient love. Right. Like I cannot wait. Cannot to wait. be married to you. It's, no. We're not going to do planning. We're not going to no. have big fanfare. It'll take too long. Yeah. We got to get this done. We we dated for like. Four months before we engaged, and they got married like six months later. We wow. were, oh, maybe it's five and six months. Yeah, we just you know when you know you know. Yep. You know. Were you, what guys, are you for? How old were you guys? I was twenty-four. Okay. She was twenty-three. All right. Yeah. All right, Mrs. Garcia. It's funny because I feel like we have complete opposite stories. <laughs> My engagement involved a great deal of fanfare. Not doves, but it wouldn't surprise me if James had considered doves at some point. Um, so my, was it my senior year in college, the summer after my senior year, so like June, right after we had graduated, James Garcia was planning a mission trip to Romania. He spent several, maybe three months over there um, the summer after he graduated. And in his mind, the right thing to do immediately prior, literally the day prior to leaving for three months, was to propose to me, which it was the right thing. It was great. Um, So he took me, we were living in, I was living in Bloomington, Illinois at the time. He was down in Champaign. So he picked me up on the way and took me on a surprise adventure to where we had met the very first time, which is Chinatown in Chicago, had told me nothing about what we were doing, gave me a false packing list that included things like a candle, a ski mask, a fire starter, like just like the most random things you can imagine, like a list of maybe 12 complete completely at random items. And I was like, all right, I'll do my best. Um, So gathered those random items. We drove up to Chicago and he took me to the restaurant that we had met at like four years prior 
Um, and actually, the first night we had met was in this Chinese restaurant in Chinatown in Chicago. And he and all the boys that we were with, we were on a little group group hang back in 2004. 2000, oh, yeah, 2004. The boys had all taken the fortune cookies that we received at this restaurant and written silly things, probably some obscene or inappropriate things but you know funny thing all funny things all the same to teenage boys and I had received one that said will you marry me and this was written by the 18 year old James Garcia he was 18 yeah well when we met oh I four see. years later we went back to the same place and he gave me a fortune cookie that said will you marry me wow and he documented the whole thing so he had a disposable Polaroid camera I had to pick up you know pull up the pictures um so there's pictures of like literally every part of the experience that evening. So went home, stayed with my parents that night, and he left for Romania the next day. Did you remember your first fortune cookie? Absolutely. Did you yeah. uh, did you sense another one was coming or Um I don't I we had talked about getting married. It wasn't like completely out of left field, but I never thought he would have done it the day before leaving the country. So yeah, I was surprised for sure. So did he slide the fortune cookie over to you? I think the way that it worked was he. Oh, he's gonna have to. T he's gonna have to say all the details because I can't quite remember. But I think he ended up giving me the fortune cookie after we had gone to the restaurant and just say, "Hey, I, I think he said I grabbed these on the way out," and then he was ready, like with the camera, to take a picture as I opened it. I don't know. It's amazing. It's amazing that I was surprised because I was. You know, I was carrying around a candle and a ski mask. What could be going on, you know? Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. He's very, very thoughtful. That is beautiful. James, me, you? Yeah. Um, so Emily and I, we had dated for a significant amount of time, years. So it was time. Um, so... I think my the story of our engagement may sound like I put her through a lot because I didn't love her, but really there's a lot of love in my heart. <laughs> so we were living in Chicago. Um, we had both graduated from Moody Bible Institute. We we're living downtown Chicago. And the place I work, I worked at a school as a crossing guard. And um, my colleague, who was a Chicago police officer, brought him in on my plans. So Emily, I hope this makes sense. Emily was working just at a tea shop in downtown uh, Chicago. I talked to her boss and requested some time off for her and also asked Emily's roommate to take her out to coffee. And so I knew where Emily was with her roommate drinking coffee. And I had my police officer colleague um, go to this coffee shop and locate Emily. And so this police officer shows up at the coffee shop and, you know, this is years ago. So I had an iPod that I had recorded something from myself on and he gave Emily this iPod. And on it was a message from me that basically said, hey, Emily, today is a day where I just need you to trust me. And uh, this is my friend and just ask that you, you trust me and do as he says. Wow. So this is a Chicago cop um, and he goes, Emily... I believe um, your roommate's going to come with us, but I'm going to ask that you come come with me. So <laughs> Emily, her roommate, and this cop get in his cop car. Again, we're downtown Chicago. 
he puts on his lights um, and whisks her away, and they she doesn't know where they're going, <laughs> um, but he takes her out to Midway Airport, and he, he drives up to the curb. He's obviously a cop. He can get right in there. Um, uh, her roommate, Emily's roommate, gets out. The cop So pops. wait, the roommate was totally in on everything? The roommate knows what's happening. Okay. Uh, she jumps out. In the trunk of the cop's car is Emily's suitcase uh, and also a binder. And the binder says uh, something to the effect of, this is your travel itinerary. And my, the roommate gives Emily this binder with all this information and her suitcase and says, have fun. Again, I, I love Emily. Wow. <laughs> this may not sound like it. But inside the inside this binder of itinerary is is a is a plane ticket uh, with some instructions of what plane to get on and and, and whatnot. Anyways, I had bought her uh, a ticket to go out to Denver, Colorado. Um, so she she did all this. Uh, she got on the plane. Um, I and she, she flew out to Denver, um, and I she told me after the fact that she sat by somebody another you know, 20 something year old on the plane. And, you know, as you do in the, in the airplane, you're like, Oh, so where are you, where are you going? Like, who are you going to see? And Emily's like, I don't know where I'm going. Well, who are you going to go see? I don't know who I'm going to see. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, my word. That is awesome. I can't believe it. So then she lands in Denver and in this little travel booklet, I say, Hey, you don't know who this person is, but he's a dear friend of mine. His name is Taylor, and he has, I think, like a cowboy hat on or something. I don't know. Um, he's going he's gonna to be finding you. Or maybe I gave a phone number. I don't know how that connection worked. Um, but she was to meet this guy, my friend Taylor, at the Denver airport. And so my friend Taylor, they've never met. Uh, they make a connection. He picks her up in – he has a car at the airport. Um, and he drives like an hour out of Denver to like this mountainside that overlooks like the, the, the mountains out in Colorado. Um, and unbeknownst to Emily, the day prior to all this, I had already flown out to Denver because um, my, my good buddy Taylor lived out there. So I was staying with him, and he sh he, this was like the park you go to for romance type things right <laughs> so i had i was out there i had like a picnic all spread out you know and i was wearing my best clothes that you know i had and whatever i'd prepared all these things i prepared a picnic and so when emily came out she like had to walk down like it, my buddy let her out and says, i think james is down there he's waiting for you so she comes walking down and i'm just sitting there with like roses and a picnic all spread out and obviously i'm going to propose at that moment right so wow. that's how it happened. That's impressive, James. Wow. That is really, really impressive. That's our story. Wow. So when the cop comes into this cafe and starts talking to Emily, what, what, what were her first thoughts? Like, was she freaked out? She, I think she would say she thought something happened to me. Yeah. Like, I had been hurt. I, you know, I knew all the pieces of the puzzle, so it, it wasn't scary to me. But looking back on it now, 10 years, 11 years later, I'm like, that was kind of dumb of like, <laughs> I probably wouldn't do that again. Are, uh, are you Emily Davenport? <laughs> <laughs> like the, the only time you hear that is like when there's a tragedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
but anyways, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. And we, we got to spend a few days in Colorado together and, um, you know, just enjoy. Yeah. Making enjoy, memories. Enjoy time out there. So. Wow. That's, that's a tough one to follow. Uh, I'll give it a shot. So this would have been uh, October 16th. I always remember the day we got engaged because my mom's birthday. That's my birthday. Oh my gosh. Yes. Sorry, so this is your story. We'll Not about birthday. my birthday. <laughs> no, it is about you, Jackie. It's, <laughs> it's all about you. Um, so uh, we got engaged uh, in 90, it would have been 97 of October, October 16th of 97. Um, Kim was at this time in her life in medical school. She did not go on to be a doctor. She is a medical school dropout. Uh (laughs) She loves it when I say that. Uh, For those that don't know Kim, she went on to become a physician's assistant, of which she is not doing that anymore. Anyway, at the time, she thought she was going to be a doctor. She had done a semester of medical school, University of Iowa. So she was living in Iowa City, and I was living in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And so... We were doing a little long distance uh, dating at this time. And a few weeks prior to this, there was this big, huge Promise Keepers event called Stand in the Gap. And uh, we went out there and it was basically just like uh, on the Washington Mall, um, you know, just men gathered to practice repentance and to worship. It was just this huge gathering of... um, of men organized by the Promise Keepers movement that was really popular in the in the late 90s, mid 90s, early 90s. Um, went there and I just felt like, you know, I'd be kind of wavering on getting engaged to Kim, you know, just like, I don't know if we're supposed to do this or not. And at that gathering, uh, it just kind of felt like it descended on me, like the Lord, the Holy Spirit impression, whatever charismatic word you want to use. I just had a strong impression that I was supposed to get married to this woman. And that just kind of sealed the deal. And so came home, just like James said, bought that ring, uh, took out a loan, didn't have money. Funny enough, you know, when we get married, it, her money's my money, my money's her money. So she helps pay off her own ring. It's really, really classy. Um, but because uh, I didn't have any money, so I took out a loan, bought a ring. You know, that ring's burned a hole in my pocket. So She's in Iowa City, Iowa. I'm living in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I drive down for the weekend uh, to see her, and we just said we're going to go out to dinner. She doesn't know that I'm going to propose. We talked about getting married, but like because we were wavering, or at least I was wavering a little bit, she was just like, hey, let's put the kibosh on the marriage talk because I feel like I'm getting yo-yoed around here. And so we hadn't talked about marriage in, in a while. And so um, we just go out to dinner at this really nice restaurant in uh, Iowa City. And before I, um, before going to dinner, I went to the restaurant a few hours ahead of time and I talked to the manager and I said, hey, here's the deal. I want to propose to my girlfriend. And when I asked for dessert um, and we ordered dessert, I want you to bring the ring out on the dessert tray. And I'm going to just get down on one knee there in the restaurant. And so they were. You allowed for the ring. I did to be separate from you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's why. I trusted him. You had a loan on that thing. I did. Yeah, I trusted the management of the restaurant, and I also had my roommate ride down and film the whole thing. Now this is 1997. There's no iPhones. He has the over-the-shoulder VCR camcorder with those huge lights that come out. You know what I mean? So here's the deal. 
the server comes out. I, you know, I'm just like um, my uh, Kim always says I was acting so squirrely that night. There was a campus event um, where William Lane Craig is a famous um, famous apologist was speaking on campus on campus, and we went to this event, and I was just I was a nervous wreck. You know what I mean, like. And Kim was just like, what is the deal with this guy? Like, he's just like squirrely and just like can't focus and fidgety. And so then we go to dinner and, um, and so dessert tray comes out. I'm so nervous and the ring. And then right as he comes around the corner, Kim says she remembers like this, like spotlight emerging out of the bushes in the restaurant. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm a roommate with this huge camcorder. And she's like, why is your roommate hiding in the bushes with a camcorder? And then it's like, then the ring and it all comes together and I get down on one knee and and uh, there's a videotape, a VCR. Like, I don't know where we'd ever find a VCR now to play it on, but. But you have the tape. Somewhere. We yeah, in theory. Yeah, we should, yeah. if we could find it. Um, During sabbatical. Yeah, exactly, time. sabbatical project. Um, her first question though was, did you ask my dad? <laughs> I think she was scared. I wasn't going to ask her dad. And I was like, yes. She's like, okay. And then she said yes. And, and they gave me a huge hug and there's, yeah, there's some pictures somewhere. I don't know who would have been taking pictures, but anyway, so, you know, it's good to tell, tell stories just to get to know people and, and to share our lives with, uh, with the people at the Vine Church. So can I ask a follow-up question? Please. I'm, I always feel like there's such buildup, and maybe it's for the the gentleman who's asking. Um, but then, then you you say, it, you know, you propose, and then it's like, but then what do you do? You know what I mean? I don't know if you experience like the kind of the moments after, like you're excited. At least maybe it was just unique for us because we're in Colorado all by ourselves. Like you want to share the moment, but you also want to keep the moment. I don't know. I was curious. Did you guys call people right away, share the news right away? Yeah. Or hold it? I remember calling my parents later. Yeah. Yeah, I think I probably called. My parents already knew, but we called like, my, I think I called my brother. I called, you know, my friends from school and, you know. This is pre-internet. Right. Well, no, not pre-internet, but definitely pre like definitely pre like group text yeah right? exactly yeah. no group yeah. texting no facebook no yeah, facebook or instagram for sure. you know where the world knows immediately everything that's going on in your life exactly. yeah. um so yeah a lot of phone calls mm -hmm. but kinsey had to call and tell her family and they had no idea because i did not ask for anybody it's actually yeah i i didn't ask anybody's permission or opinion i was uh not looking Rogue. for any advice i was not looking for anything i knew what i wanted i knew when i wanted it what, what if what if her dad sat you down and was like houston we have a problem actually this is really funny her dad and i have a great relationship now but first time i met him was at a restaurant in virginia beach and he uh kind of jokingly not really jokingly threatened to push me into the ocean because he was a little less than happy that i this Didn't was after you proposed? Yeah, first time I met him, after I proposed. You hadn't met him until after you proposed? No, Kinsey had only met my family, like, one time. Wow. Just because yeah, we lived you guys, so much closer. And you guys got engaged pretty quick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, bold um, move. Definitely bold. 
You know, you're a bold guy. When you know what you want. That's right. Who you want? Yes. Yes. Well, guys, that's been uh, you know a good 47 minutes here. Um, just kind of a good laid back, get to know you podcast. A podcast to welcome Jackie. Uh, I think when we do staff podcasts in the future, we'll continue with story time. Can I, can I ask one more follow-up question? Yes, yes, James, you can. Has there been other fortune cookies in your, like, w- every time, it, do fortune cookies come up in your marriage? Is that like a... Is that the, is that how we, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. how we communicate yeah. fake news to everyone? Yeah. Like, we're moving we're to expecting. Madison, yeah. here's a fortune cookie. Yeah, totally. Has it made a comeback? Negative. No, it hasn't. I don't know. But you know, what's funny is when we had moved from Oregon to Verona, you know, Oregon, Wisconsin to Verona. I think that's when we had found the fortune cookies. Because when James had them custom made, you had to buy 20 of them. So there's a bag somewhere in my house of 20 fortune cookies that say, will you marry me if anyone's in the market? Um, But no, it's not been a motif or a theme. Just twice. You know, as you're talking, there was a, a couple in our city group who announced the birth of their first child. They brought. They wanted to bring dessert for like a, a family meal that we were doing, mm-hmm. and inside was like the announcement of their. We're expecting. Yeah, something I like love that. that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun way to. Wow. Yeah, fun way to communicate, I guess. Well, unless there's anything else you guys wanna wanna share with the Vine family listening in their cars, yeah. All right. Well, hey, this will probably be the last podcast for a little bit unless you guys want to just go crazy while I'm on sabbatical and uh, do whatever you want. But if not, we will uh, return in January, God willing, with uh, the Vine Conversations podcast. We'll see you then.